Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In Deuteronomy 32, verses 28 through 29, Moses said, For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this that they would consider their latter end. That was his prayer in Deuteronomy 32, 28, 29. Oh, that they were wise, they would consider their latter end. He prayed that. In other words, he was praying that they'd lift up their eyes from the field of their work to see the cave at the end of the field and consider their latter end. You know, this last week I had the privilege of hosting a dear Jewish friend of mine over to the house for lunch. I made him lunch. We ate. We sat outside. We talked a lot. And at the end of eating this, the lunch that I made for him, I asked him how old he was. Looks at me strange. He said he was 68. I said, oh, my wife was 67 when she left the earth. So I said, "Uh, I just have one question. And I said, what's going to happen to you after you die? He looks shocked. He looks at me. He says, you feed me this great steak, and then you hit me with this question. (laughs) And then he proceeded to tell me about all the business deals that he's got going on in Mexico and France and everywhere and what he's hoping to accomplish and I couldn't bring him back to consider his latter end, to consider the cave at the end of the field. Even though I asked him, I said, wouldn't it be a tragedy if you distracted yourself with all of your business deals all the way up to your death, refusing to consider your latter end and failed to be reconciled to God by accepting the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for your sins? Even though I said that to him, you know, he just kept going on about his business deals. And I said, okay, you want to talk about business? I said, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ asked a business question about life. When the star of Everybody Loves Raymond, you know, Everybody Loves Raymond, at his retirement party, where after he had made $100 million from making the TV series, and his brother, who's a believer, he slipped into his pocket a piece of paper with that question on it. And the question is from Mark 8, 36 through 37, 8, 36 through 37, for what shall it profit a man? If he gained the whole world, what shall it profit? You know, very, very important word in business, profit. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain, another important business, the word gain, the whole world and lose, also profit loss statements, lose his own soul, and what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? All very business terms, profit loss statement, exchange. So I asked my friend, let's say you make the greatest business deals and you end up with billions of dollars. How long do you want to keep those billions? Where is the profit if you have those billions for a short time and then you lose your own soul? How much time with those billions are you willing to accept in exchange for your soul? 
10 years with those billions till you're 78 years old? Is that worth it? You lose your soul for those 10 years? 20 years with those billions till you're 88 years old? I don't know what kind of shape you'll be in in 88, but anyway, let's say, is that worth it? And when I told him that he needed to be saved from his sin, he said, sin? What sin? And as an example, I said, well, the sin of looking with lust at a woman in your heart. He particularly laughed at that, laughed at that and, and rebelled. And I don't understand why. Of course, then as we're talking, you know, the issue came up of him having two children with his current wife. So, well, nothing wrong with that, except for the minor problem that when he had those two children with his current wife, she was another man's wife, married to another man. That's why Moses uses the term would in Deuteronomy 32, 29. Oh, that they were wise, that they would understand this, that they would consider their latter end. It's a would matter of them considering their latter end. It's totally a matter of their will that they would consider their latter end. No one can force a person to do that. They must be willing themselves to consider their latter end. And from that I can see I couldn't persuade him that to consider his latter end. I was not able to persuade him to consider the cave at the end of his field. It was clear to me that it was his sin that he was not willing to face that made him not willing to consider the cave at the end of his field. He wasn't willing to consider the grave at the end of his life. And I was frustrated. I was not able to get him to do this. All I could do is to take my frustration to God in prayer for him, which I did after he left. And I was cleaning the dishes, and I took his dirty plate, and I held it up to God, and I said, Oh, God, this plate is my friend's heart. <laughs> it's dirty. It's dirty with sin And as I take this sponge and this soap and clean this plate, I'm praying as I do that that you would clean the heart of my friend with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never seen a plate get so clean before. It was like a mirror. (laughs) We see in verse 9 that Abraham told them that he wanted the cave of Machpelah and he's willing to pay whatever it was worth, as he said in verse 9, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of burying place amongst you. He wanted a burying place. That's all he wanted. He wanted a burying place. Why did he want a burying place? Why did he take such care of Sarah's body after she died? Why didn't Abraham just throw her body away and say, well, you know, why didn't he just burn it up? Why didn't he cremate it? Why didn't he say, I know where to get the dead out of my sight. I'll just just, uh, destroy the body. It was because Abraham did not believe when you're dead, you're dead. And Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead. And even though worms were going to destroy her body, he took care as best he could to do what he could to care for it before the resurrection. So he wanted to secure a place for Sarah to be buried, at which would be the same place that he was going to be buried at, just like I secured a place for Cheryl to be buried, and then a, a place next to it. We always joked about that. We said, we'll have to put, she hated electronics. I said, I'll put an intercom between it, near to where Bert Poole is buried. But as Abraham buried Sarah in that cave, it was with hope, and the cave represented for Abraham a very special place of hope was the hope of the resurrection. And the Bible teaches us that there are two great hopes with two great purposes which God has. There is a earthly hope and a purpose, and there is a heavenly hope and a purpose. There will be a new earth, and there will be a new heaven. And this earth in which you and I are living is going to go on through eternity. It's going to go on into eternity. It's not going for the trash can. It's not going for the garbage heap. It's going to be renewed. And that was the hope that Abraham had. For now, sin has taken over the earth. But our God is going to cleanse this earth from sin, and it's going to go into eternity. It's interesting, when you think about sin taking over the earth here, this cave of Machpelah, where Abraham and his family are buried, today is in present-day Hebron, about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. 
And Hebron today is an Arab town. It's very famous. It's a part of the West Bank. Very famous, especially among Jewish people, because in 1929, there was the, uh, the Arabs massacred Jews in Hebron. It's interesting. 67 Jews were killed. Same number has been lost today in the Gaza War. But Hebron today, and they moved the yeshiva from there to Jerusalem at that time. Hebron today is a very dangerous town. And today, if you wanted to go see the cave of Machpelah, you risk your life. You risk your life to go do it. First of all, you can find it because there's a Muslim mosque built over it. And you go in there and you look down some hole and they say, okay, that's the cave of Machpelah. But Abraham knew the world's going to be cleansed and there's going to be this resurrection. Now, here we want to look at Abraham. It's very interesting because here we really see, we've already seen Abraham in action with God as the businessman who was negotiating for the saving of Sodom and Gomorrah. But here we see Abraham as the businessman negotiating with men. This is interesting for us. And so we want to consider here Abraham, the businessman, and how he's our model for how to conduct business. Because what we see in Abraham in this chapter is a model for godly businessmen. So the first characteristic we see of a godly businessman in Abraham is in verses 7 through 8, where Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of land, even the children of Heth, in verse 7. Verse 8, it says, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zoar. So when we see Abraham, and this is not just the first place, it does it another time, in this chapter, putting his face on the ground to the children of Heth, when we see him asking them to intercede for him, to Ephron, we see that Abraham was humble in his business dealings. He was a humble man. There was no arrogance in Abraham. There was just the sweet spirit of humility in Abraham, the businessman. And notice when Abraham does meet Ephraim and speak with him directly, that it says in verses 12 to 13, and Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land. And he spoke unto Ephraim in the audience of the people of the land, saying, but if thou wilt give it, I pray thee hear me. So here we see emphasized that Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land and was in the audience of the people of the land. You know, it's one thing for Abraham to have humbled himself by bowing down before one person privately, but for Abraham to humble himself by bowing down before the people of the land, that was much harder. And then notice that what Abraham says in verse 13 to this Hittite man When he said in verse 13, he said, I pray thee, hear me. But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me. See, I pray thee, hear me. Please, I'm asking for a hearing. This wasn't easy for Abraham. After all, Abraham had been promised this land by God. So why should he be buying a cave in the land that God gave to him? Abraham could have been arrogant, and he could have said, now listen to me, you Hittites. You're squatting on the land God has given to me could have done that. I'm not going to pay you for that cave. I own that cave. I own everything around here. And I'm ordering you to vacate this land. You're trespassers. He didn't have that spirit. This is not Abraham. He graciously was willing to pay for the land God gave him. Abraham is an example of what the Lord Jesus Christ meant in Matthew 5.40 when it says, if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And an example of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with the other. Why do you not rather take wrong? And why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Now, if you go to any leading business school like Harvard Business School or Wharton School of Business and you take a course on business negotiations, they will tell you not to do this. 
that Abraham did. They'll tell you that when you humble yourself, you make yourself look weak to the other side, and that puts you in a weak position where you can be taken advantage of. You always negotiate from the strong position. They'll tell you that. Negotiate from a position of strength, not from a position of weakness. And it wasn't easy for Abraham to humble himself before the sons of Heth. And it's never easy to being humbled. It takes an act of our will. It's interesting in verse 7 that it doesn't just say Abraham bowed to the people of the land. Notice what it says. Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land. He bowed himself to the people of the land. Notice how this is emphasized again when Abraham bows a second time in verse 12. And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land. See, verse 7, he bowed himself to the people of the land. Verse 12, he bowed down himself before the people of the land. These descriptions of Abraham bowing himself, bowing himself down, it portrays to us that this was something that didn't come naturally to Abraham. It doesn't come naturally to us. These descriptions teach us that there's a side of Abraham that said, I'm not going to bow down before these God-hating idolaters. And then there's a side of Abraham that said, oh, yes, you will, Abraham. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take my hand, his own hand, I'm going to bow you down. That's the side in Abraham that bowed down himself before the people of the land. That side of Abraham that humbled Abraham publicly, that went against Abraham's natural inclination to stand proud. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you in due time. Which brings about a picture that we're to take our own hand and humble ourselves down when we don't feel like it. That's the first characteristics of a godly businessman. He's humble. He's not arrogant. He humbles himself by honoring others who are not believers. The second characteristic we see in Abraham businessman is in verse 8. He communed with them, if it be in your mind. And then he says, and entreat for me. So he asked the sons of Heth to entreat for him. He needs the cave. He really, really needs the cave. Should I say it again? He needs the cave. <laughs> he really needs the cave of Machpelah. Sarah's body is deteriorating fast, and there's pressure on Abraham to get the deal done fast so he can put Sarah's body in that cave. Pressure on Abraham could have easily made Abraham anxious to make sure that nothing went wrong in the business deal to get the cave. It would have been very easy for Abraham to get under pressure, to get up tight, to get anxious, to jump in and say, get that cave at any cost. It would have been easy for Abraham to get into the mode of, by hook or crook, get the cave. And most business deals are like that. There's a need, there's a pressure, there's a temptation to get the deal by hook or crook. But Abraham, as the godly businessman, he says to himself that he only wants the cave if God wants him to have the cave. And so Abraham resists the temptation to get the cave by hook or crook, and Abraham steps away from the pressure, and he asks the sons of Heth to go intercede for him. And if Abraham had yielded to this pressure of getting the cave at any cost, then he would have said that he wanted to deal directly with Ephraim, make sure nothing went wrong to get the deal done. But Abraham casts the outcome into the hands of the sons of Heth, who will intercede for him. And we see him as he does that. He's really casting the outcome into the hands of God. He's taking the position that he only wants the cave. It's the will of God. And if it's the will of God, then the sons of Heth will be successful in their intercession for him. And if God doesn't want him to have the cave, then the sons of Heth will not be successful. In either case, Abraham has peace. He has peace that God will make the decision to either get the cave or not get the cave for Abraham. And he walks away with peace. He's not in this torment of anxiety. Now, if you go to any leading business school, like Harvard Business School or Wharton School of Business, and you take a course on business negotiations, they'll tell you, don't do this. They'll say, don't do this. They'll tell you, take control yourself. 
of the business negotiation, never entrust the deal to a third party because that puts you in a very vulnerable position. So there's a real temptation for the Christian businessman for him to see his business opportunity and said, that's an unbelievable opportunity. It must be from God. Thank you, Lord. I'll take it over from here. And when he does that, he's effectively pushing God out of the way and reverting to the get the deal by hook or crook. And the proof that he's done this is that there's anxiety. There's no peace. And if he gets the deal, there's no peace because he doesn't know if God really wanted him to have it. And if he doesn't get the deal, there's no peace because he second guesses he did something wrong and he lost the deal. But what we see Abraham doing, asking the sons of Heth to intercede for him, it brings Abraham peace, who's trusting God. He's removing himself from the initial contact with Ephraim so that if the sons of Heth are successful, that was God. If they're not successful, that was God. He trusts God. God knew that he had need for a place to bury the body of Sarah. God knew its body was stinking. And in his business dealings, Abraham trusted in the words, your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All those things, chump change for God. That's a paraphrase. So Abraham trusted that his heavenly father saw the fast deterioration of Sarah's body and knew he needed a place. And notice too that when Abraham asked the sons of Heth to intercede for him, his instructions were, I'll pay for as much money as it takes to get the deal done. That's not what he said. He says, I'll pay for as much money as it is worth. He says it. So he tells the sons of Heth that they were to tell Ephraim, I'm willing to pay as much money as it's worth, not as much money as you want. I'll pay the market value, not what the market will bear. Because Abraham was an honest dealer, and that was another characteristic of a Christian businessman. The deal should be right for both sides. You know, years ago, we had some stainless steel fabrication done by a company, and right after we paid for it, we found out they did it wrong, and we pointed out to them, and they came back to him and said, there's not enough money in that job for us to go back and make it right. So Abraham told the sons of Heth that he was willing to pay market value, and by telling them that, he was further putting it into the hands of God. Second characteristic, the Christian businessman trusts God for the outcome of his business dealings. Next characteristic we see in verse 4. He says, I'm a stranger and a sojourner. I want a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. There's a transparency here. We see it in verse 8. He said that I should bury my dead out of my sight. You know, from the first encounter, Abraham was absolutely transparent. You could see through him. This is why I need the cave. He said it went in verse 4, burying place, verse 8, he repeats it. He didn't try to conceal his motive. He didn't go up to him and say, you know, I was just kind of walking around here. I said, that's a nice cave. I think I like that cave. Yeah, why, why, why not? I like caves. He didn't do that. He was absolutely up front. He told him, I have a pressing need for the cave. You go to any business school, Harvard Business, Wharton School of Business, they'll tell you, don't do that. They'll say, you keep your cards close to your chest. They'll say, and never reveal to the other side how desperate you are to make the deal. Because that puts you in a weak position and you get taken advantage of. But we see with Abraham, simple purity of mind. It was transparent. He told them that he was desperate to have the cave for a burying place to bury his dead out of his sight. Third characteristic, Christian businessman, he does not try to conceal his motive. He's up front. And then he said, I'll give the money for the field. Now notice this next characteristic in the businessman. You have to look at three verses. Verse 9. He wants the cave, that he may give me the cave, which he hath at the end of his field. He's not asking for the field. In verse 11, nay, my Lord, the field, you take that too, I can give it to you for free. And then verse 13, notice he says, but if thou wilt, I'll pay thee, I will give thee money for the field. See? So in verse 9, he just wanted to buy the cave. In verse 11, Ephron was throwing in the field as part of the deal for free, and Abraham just wanted to buy the cave. 
The now he's offering the field. And so in verse 13, Abraham changes and said, okay, I'll give you money for the field. Abraham didn't want to buy the field. He just wanted the cave. But now Abraham is even willing to pay money for the field. He didn't want to buy. Why? This shows how Abraham was a fair dealer. He was a fair dealer. He wasn't going to take the field unless he paid for it, even though it was offered to him for free. He didn't say, look, I only wanted to buy the cave, and I want to buy the cave. But since you're offering me the field also, and you're saying to accept it as a gift without paying for it, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. I'm going to receive the field, and I'm going to pay for the field. You go to any leading business school, Harvard, Wharton School of Business, they say, don't do that. They'll say, get all you can get for as low a price as you can, and walk away and congratulate yourself. That's not Abraham. A good businessman makes sure that the deal is fair for both sides. And that's what Abraham was, a fair dealer. Next characteristic we see, businessman, verse 16. Abraham hearkened to Ephron, Ephraim weighed to Ephraim the silver. Abraham weighed to Ephraim the silver, which he'd named 400 shekels. So here we see Abraham immediately, right away. We see him weighing out. He's making the payment on the spot. Abraham is following what it says in Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 5. When thou vowest a vow to God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe. Better you shouldn't vow, shouldn't pay. Proverbs 3.28, say not unto thy neighbor, as in Ephraim, go, come again, tomorrow I'll give, when thou hast it by thee. Abraham paid what he owed now. Abraham did not say he'd pay him tomorrow. That's another characteristic Christian businessman. He pays his bills on time. At a prayer meeting one time, there was a man who owed another man a debt. They were both in the same prayer meeting. And the man who owed the debt prayed, Lord, give me devil-defying faith. And the man he owed the debt to said, Lord, give him debt-paying faith. <laughs> Very interesting little phrase that appears in verse 17 and verse 20. See at the end of verse 17 where they describe what was being paid for, cave, trees, field, all the borders, and it says they were made sure, were made sure. Verse 20, field, cave, were made sure for possession. That little phrase, were made sure, means that before many witnesses, the exact details of the deal were specified. Who was the former owner? Ephron. Where was the exact location before memory? Hey, Don, they got surveyors out here practically, you know. What's the exact description? Trees, field, cave. This was done so that there would never be any question about the details of the deal. You know, we made a deal to make pregnancy tests for Carter Wallace for Church and Dwight, and we did that for 19 years, but we had a contract. Before we started, we took six months to hammer out a 60-page contract, which described everything. It still endured all the way to the end. Anyway, we made sure the deal was sure, and it was a good thing that Abraham wanted to make sure this deal was sure. No handshake deals here with Abraham. Okay, yeah, give me a No, everything's spelled out. We don't know if it was written or not, but it certainly was many witnesses. Ten characteristics of a Christian businessman. Number one, he was trusting. Verse eight, entreat for me. Number two, he was transparent. Verse four, I want a burying place. Number three, he was kind. In verse eight, he communed with them. Number four, he was modest. In verse four, I'm a stranger. Number five, in verse four, he came right to the point. No dilly-dallying around. Came right to the point. He wanted the burying place. Number six, verse seven, he was humble. He bowed himself. There's a six. Number seven, he was gentle. Verse 13, I pray thee, hear me. Number eight, he was fair. Verse 13, he paid for the field. Number nine, verse 16, he weighed the silver. He paid on time. And number 10, he was precise. Verse 17, he made the deal sure. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the example of Abraham to us this morning, Lord. And we know, Lord, that he did all these things because Abraham was the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And you, Lord, working through the yielded vessel Abraham, Lord, you moved him to do all these things and gave him strength. So give us the same strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand-new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and the entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.